Greetings everyone and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay and today we're going to be finishing off the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 1. And we're going to be working from verse number 57 down to, Lord willing, the end of the chapter at verse number 80. And we will be talking about not only the birth of John the Baptist, but also of the prophecy that Zechariah will be uh, giving and the consideration of the necessity of prophecy being fulfilled in its order. As we know God to be a God of decent order, as we know God to be one who establishes all things in their time, that we know that John would, would come before Jesus, as we understand, by six months concerning the schedule of birth as to be the forerunner to announce the King of Kings into the world, as well as the Lord of Lords. And so, very cool situation that we have today. Going to be some pretty awesome information coming from the Word of God. So let's get into it by prayer, and we'll we'll just jump to this. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done, for everything that you are doing. And Lord, we look with anticipation to those things which shall come to pass, those promises that we with hope and eager uh, excitement, Lord, yet with a, a fair amount of patience, do wait for the sounding of the trumpets and for those events to come to pass that have been prophesied, Lord. The whole book of Revelation is is soon to happen, I personally believe. And so, Father, we just pray that you will give us wisdom in this time of the year to know that at the first coming of our Savior, that he, he came as the Lamb. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He, he did not come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. But he's coming again. And Lord, this is the the, the concept that we now look to is the second advent, the return of the lion of the tribe of Judah, whereas in he first came as the lamb, he shall return as the lion. The sole authority over all things, the, the ruler of all kings of this earth and nations that bow their knee and confess with their tongue, Lord. And we pray that you will give us wisdom as to, to worship you, and ask to know you better so that we may be able to face that day in the confidence of being a part of you. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in us, with us, and through us now in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's take a look at the birth of John the Baptist, starting in verse number 57. And with this section, we will stop at 66. <clears throat> so the scripture goes on to say, Now Elizabeth's time, uh, full time, came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zechariah after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said to them, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is none of your family that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled. <laughs> 
And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke and praised God. And and fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these things were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. And all that all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, you get a great example here as found from 57 to 66 of the, the people's growing belief that a Messiah indeed has come into the world. Not the one that you expect, but the one that they see. And, and what I'm referring to is John. A lot of the people in, in Jerusalem, uh, as we could say, a lot of the, the Jews, they believed that John indeed was going to be their Messiah. And, and the reasoning why was revealed right here in the section of Scripture is because of the miraculous events that had taken place. Of course, everybody knew around that area of Zechariah and of his speechlessness and how he was struck by God as he has seen this vision, but he hasn't been able to speak for over nine months. Remember that at the time that he was struck from being able to speak, that he still had a portion of the service that he had to fulfill as concerning the office of the priesthood before he went home. So there was a period of time where he's unable to speak while he's finishing off the duties that he has as, as, as the priest that he is, and then he goes home, and at the time of going home, that is when the consummation of the conception comes to pass with Elizabeth, and, and she becomes with child. And so she's got nine months from that point. So this whole time, uh, Zechariah has not been able to say anything. And so that we find that, that there is a great mystery within the peoples around the hill country, of course, as you see here, of Judea. And there's a great mystery of, of the events that are coming to pass. Now, it, it's kind of fascinating to me in that this was not a, a precursor to the idea in Herod's mind that a Messiah is coming. Certainly there would have been some chatter going on around town even before the birth of Jesus that, that a Messiah has come. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that chatter would be pointing toward Zechariah pointing toward Elizabeth because of the impossibility of the pregnancy that would exist there. Both of their bodies at the ages that they were were at a place where they are, uh, for lack of a better term, dead to childbearing, not going to be able to have any children because the, Elizabeth's age would would uh, be found to not have an operational womb anymore, it, it, the ovary systems and everything not operational anymore. And of course, with Zachariah, you're dealing with a situation where his seat is no longer functional. So the the issue between the two, as, as was challenged by, uh, to the angel by Zechariah, that we are well stricken in age. In other words, that time has not been kind to us. We are beat down by our, by our old age. 
And, and this is an impossibility. Of course, we understand with Gabriel, he said with man, it would be impossible because Mary said the same thing. How in the world is it possible for my, for, for my family members to be able to have this child? And of course, the angel said with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Of course, not just in the possibility of opening a womb that has been long since closed, but also in the possibility of a young woman who has never been with a man to have her womb opened as well. Of course, we understand that this; these are all the events that, that are for certain and true. But even though, just like Mary going to the, the house of Elizabeth and discovering what the angel said to be true so as to understand what was happening in her own self as, as Jesus would be conceived in her, uh, but one of the important points is, is just because these events have taken place at the point at which they are doesn't mean that they're going to come to pass. There are many troubles that can happen in elderly a birthing scenario where where moms can pass or babies can pass or it's a lot of different scenarios where where miscarriages happen i mean the, the sky's the limit now from our perspective you and i that are looking at this advent narrative today we carry an omniscience to this event because we are looking at the the history of this. We're looking back at the past of this, and we're looking at the whole timeline of it. We know exactly when when John's going to be born. We're looking at it right now. We know what John's life is going to ultimately be like as he grows up. We know the ministry of John is revealed by God is to bring forth the knowledge of the of the Messiah, the true Messiah that is to come. We know that John is is ultimately going to have his head cut off by by Herod because of his daughter well really because of Herod's wife uh, telling his daughter for her birthday to ask for the head of John the Baptist on silver platter so we we understand the entire life of John before he even comes on the scene and this is the knowledge that that God has about every single one of us. He knows our beginning. He knows our end. He knows if we uh, are going to receive him as, as our salvation and as our savior. He knows if we're going to reject him. He knows the multitude of times that he is going to place the gospel in our path for for the opportunity for us to receive it but he also knows if we're not going to receive it and so we cannot go out of this world with an anger towards God saying that he didn't he didn't show me or he didn't care about me because he has provided in multitudes of opportunities for everybody around the world to be able to have and receive the gospel of Jesus and to be saved and so those who reject have no means of being able to say that God was was unfair or unjust for he indeed has gone out into all the world with his gospel to to reveal to every living soul the reality of his love and of his salvation 
So mankind isn't going to be able to play the, the card of saying, well, God is an unjust and unloving God. It's just simply not the case. But we still get a glimpse of the way that God views all things because we have the ability by looking into this Advent narrative to see everything before it even happens, to know everything before it is revealed. And that is the very nature of God. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about it that way, or when you read through the Bible and you read the life of David, or you read the life of Joseph, or you read the life of Jacob, I don't know if you really connect with that, but you're actually looking at these people and their lives in the same view that God is looking at you. You're able to see all of their failures. You're able to see all of their successes. You're able to see all of their uh, all of their shortcomings and, and, and all of their treachery and deception, but also of their love and their devotion and their loyalty. You get, you get kind of a blanket view of the entire life of this person in one moment of time, uh, keeping in mind that, that with us, we're looking back to the history of, of a people. But with God, he sees the exact same thing as you're looking at right now, but in real time. He was there at that moment as he is here in this moment, as he will be in our children and to our children's children's moments into the third and fourth generations if time allow that the Lord gives. So we understand that it's, it's very powerful when we consider the workings of the Lord. This is the vision and the view that he has. Now, as the scripture goes forward, it tells us with Elizabeth that her full time came that she should be delivered. Baby's going to pop. Nothing's going to stop it. And, and she brings forth a son. And by the way, the child survives. She survives. So you get an even more stable hope at this point of all the prophecies that would be spoken as becoming fulfilled. In other words, for Mary, this would be indeed a huge boost to the confidence that she would have that as God has made these promises, that God would see his promises through. Now, don't get me wrong. It isn't that Mary doubted God. It, it, it isn't that Mary was, was confused or scared or any of these other things as concerning God. Now, certainly Mary had a certain amount of fear about man because to Mary's perspective, mankind is unpredictable. Mary doesn't know that she's going to be able to survive going back to, to Galilee as understanding that, that showing back up the baby bump is a certain death sentence for her if Joseph uh, decides to publicly make her an example. So she understands that, that certainly God is faithful in all that God is going to do and with the fulfillment of the birth, with the with the uh, with Elizabeth not dying, with the baby not dying, with all the complications that would be possible for an elder person to be able to have a child, with it all working out, with everything coming to pass, certainly this is a great boost to to Mary and to her joy of knowing that the child that is inside of her is in like manner going to come into the world because. 
uh, God's word will not be thwarted by Satan and God's word will not be thwarted by even the unpredictability of man. For in that on our end of the scriptures, the, uh, the mankind indeed is unpredictable. We, we don't know what other people are going to do because we can't possibly know what other people are necessarily thinking. But the issue is that God does and that God, is, that God has prepared a way of escape for, for his children that God is going to provide a very warm blanket to cover uh, Mary with because after all, he is not only going to protect his beloved servant, but he's also going to protect his only begotten. And so if you think anything could come against Mary during this period of time and unto the birth of Jesus, if you think anything could come against Mary, that, that I don't care if the whole army of Rome decided that they were going to march against this one little girl, they, they would be leveled on the battlefield for nothing is going to hinder the work of God and the, the plan of God and Messiah coming into the world. So, we understand from our perspective the realities of these promises and the fulfillment of them, but we weren't in Mary's sandals. We weren't in Joseph's situation. We we are looking at it from an omniscient point of view, from from reading over history. But God was there, and we get to see that too. So the takeaway on this point is is that this ought to, in this Advent season, really boost our faith, really boost our knowledge that as much as God is there with Mary, as much as God is there working in Elizabeth and Zechariah from the youngest to the oldest, we see that all of us have a plan that is working through us by our Father. We see the purpose of of our lives, no matter how small, no matter how large, no matter how minuscule the work, no matter how great the work. We see that all of our lives have such a, a valuable purpose in the Lord that nothing can rise up against us until the time that it is for God to bring us from this life into eternal life. And so just as Mary would have this confidence of knowing the Lord and being connected to to the promises, so also we should carry that same confidence as realizing that we too are in the Lord to, to the same degree. And so I want that to be an encouragement for you today because I think that it's really important for us to realize just how precious we are to the King. So it comes down and it says, um, verse number 58 and following, it says that that her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. Now, remember that that she began, Elizabeth, I should say, she began to praise the Lord after the discovery that she has conceived and has a child in her womb because she says that the Lord has removed my reproach. Well, now it's it's impossible for people not to see. I mean, she's she had six months of pregnancy. You've got the baby bump by by the full time to be delivered. I mean, you're you're rocking this baby belly. That's it's 
just out there. And so the neighbors and all of the family members that they would have around them just rejoiced with her. I mean, the Lord has opened your womb. You are now at the most prized place for a, for a woman in all of Israel is to be with child, to have this child, to bring forth uh, and carry on the lineage of, of your people which is such an exciting point. Of course, we understand what's going to happen to her child as well as we understand what's going to happen to Jesus. But the mothers don't know that. See, this is another place where you have a, a, a God's eye view of those events that are going to happen is that the mothers don't realize in either of these cases, especially in the case of John, that the end result of her son or that the end result of their labors and bringing this child into the world is that their lineage is going to be cut short. That John is not going to, to carry on nor be able to, to bring forth other children into the world that are going to carry on the lineage of Zechariah, but that the death of John, the line of Zechariah, ultimately is going to stop. So, the you know, and that that's the most frightening concept to the Jews during this period of time is because you're everybody's hoping that the Messiah is going to come through their line, but what they don't grasp, what they don't see, that you do see, and by the way, uh, what they didn't see when Jesus was born, right? What the, what the world missed while it was sleeping, as to say the term, is that. <laughs> there is no need to carry on this this custom of these lineages hoping that the Messiah was going to come into the world because indeed the Messiah was coming into the world. He was coming into the world six months behind John. He's coming into the world not by human means but by uh, by spiritual means. He's coming into the world from God. And so this is kind of an important point is that what the mothers don't realize, what they don't know. Of course, Mary can't possibly know that the, the child that she's bringing into the world is ultimately going to meet, meet his end on a cross there at the Mount of Calvary. She couldn't possibly uh, know this to be the case back from the time of his birth at the, at the time of his death, but we see that in one section. We can see that. And, and of course, Jesus' death in his human flesh is not the end of Jesus, for he arose. We understand all of these things, and that the lineage of, of the children of God through Jesus has no ending. Jesus told uh, Martha that, that those who are alive and remain shall never die. He said those who have died shall, shall live again and those that are alive. And, and then he says to her, do you believe this? So we understand from even Jesus' own teaching that we, at, at the point of Jesus' resurrection, who are believers in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have no end. We, we, we have a lineage that is not of this earth, for we have been what is titled born again. As revealed in John chapter number 1 in verse number 13 and 14, well, capstone being verse number 12, where he says, To as many of them who has believed, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. And then in verse number 13, it tells us, Not by 
by the will of man or not by the will of the flesh, but through God, we, we have this new lineage. We're no longer connected to the things of the world. We've become connected to the things of, of God, the things of heaven. We're no longer, we're, we're, we're just pilgrims passing through this land now because we have the certainty of a mansion that has been prepared for us by Jesus in the house of God himself. So understand that, that as being born again, we have now an eternal uh, inheritance, but we have an eternal lineage that is after the Son of God so that we are children of the King. We're no longer connected to this mortality in the lineage of death. We are now connected to immortality in the, in the lineage of the living, in the lineage of eternity. So the, this is very important to understand is that though John loses his head in, in chapters following and though Jesus faces the cross at Calvary, yet neither one of them has a lineage that can be stopped for in the plan of God and for his good pleasure and purpose, they are eternal. And so that we find that everyone who enters into uh, Jesus unto salvation and in the service of God are not only eternal, but are purposed of the Lord for a specific part of his plan. So that's, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. And, and the, the neighbors and the cousins, they rejoice. And so in verse number 59, it comes down and it says, It came to pass in the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. Needless to say, a Jewish custom that, that was as much ceremonial as it was practical. It's understanding that um, many infections and a lot of issues can, can come about if this particular a piece of skin from the birth of the male, that, that it is not cleaned and that it is not uh, meticulously taken care of for the for the first years of the child's life that that there are a lot of possibilities of infections and different things that could be contrived within the the inner folds of that skin and so it was much better for the life and times of the Jews in the in the situation of Israel and where it was and 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 the nomadic nature that they had for a very long time under Abraham to simply get rid of the excess of the skin and this is what a circum this is what circumcision was to do but it also marked the connection to the lineage of a people for not everyone uh, performed this this work of the nations around Abraham but given unto Abraham this did uh, this was a mark of the separation of of the people of Abraham from the rest of the nations. And so there's a lot of things that go into this, but needless to say, for our purposes, this was just a, a part of a religious ceremony that connected the people to the Israelites, right, to, to the Jews or Judaism, the tribe of Judah as it was for the purpose of John here. And it came to pass on the eighth day, of course, being being the new uh, the number eight recognizing something that is new, something that has gone into the next chapter as it was. And so that that everything would rest after all of the labor of bringing forth the child up unto the seventh day. And on the eighth day, they, they circumcised the child to make, make everything a path for him to be new. 
So this is the purpose behind why you would have a circumcision on the eighth day. And they called him Zechariah. They just, they just called him Zechariah. And the reason why they did that without even asking is because it was already assumed. It was assumed that he would be called Zechariah because this is the pattern again of the customs of a people that have existed ever since Abraham for certain. And that they were passing the names of the father or the forefathers within their lineage down to the next generation all in the hopes that a Messiah would come through their particular lineage and that the Messiah would carry one of their family members' names. And so you can imagine that, that there would be no greater honor than this child to be named Zechariah so as to be seen as such a Messiah, and it would be under the name of his father, Zechariah. I mean, it would be a, a, a major win for the whole family's lineage, right? So they called him Zechariah right off. And I mean, keep in mind that from this un, kind of supernatural uh, birth anyways because everybody knew that they were too old to be able to bear children and here they have a child and no one expected the child to live for certain but here the child is is being circumcised on the eighth day everybody expected that that elizabeth was going to go through complications and she's doing just fine i mean so everything is insanely miraculous to this point and so the child it, it, they want to call him zachariah but his mother pipes up now, this, this is exciting because rarely do you find it, it, mothers kind of interjecting in those things that were believed to be uh, of the patriarchy or of, of the men's decisions. Well, a lot of people have uh, false, false concepts of the way that women were treated, especially in the, the realm of Israel. Now, I can't argue the fact that women might have been possessions in, in Rome. I can't argue the fact that women might have been possessions in different lands like Babylon or Assyria or, or even the, the other smaller kingdoms of, of nations that were around Israel during the time. But, but women were way more than just simple possessions to men in, in Israel because God uh, gave men very specific instructions on how to care for their wives, how to, how to be there for their wives and love their wives and serve their wives. And so, so women were actually very highly regarded and, and, and well-respected within, within Judaism as a whole, but within Israel. And so when mama pipes up, it's not that people are, are disannulling what she's saying or, or, or that she doesn't have a voice. It's just that what she's saying doesn't make any sense to anybody. You're, you're wanting us to, to name this child at the circumcision, which, by the way, was the connection to the name to Judaism and the, the lineage to go forward. You want us to name him someone who, who doesn't have any familial connection to anyone in your family. You, you want us to give a name that, that none of your forefathers, as far back as we can track to Abraham, have ever been named. So, of course, that they're not taking her seriously at this moment because she said, no, his name will be called John. And they said to her, there is nobody in verse 61 that is called by this name. And, and so they immediately just, they turn away from her because they're like, she must be delirious, right? Because she just had this baby and, and she's old. So she might be senile. She might be out of her mind. So the interesting thing, Zachariah can hear just fine. 
The funny thing about it is that he can't speak. Well, through a process of time, of course, keeping in mind that he's been this way for nine months, it's easy for people to begin to think of him as being deaf. And, and often, it's a pretty exciting point for Zechariah is the amount of talking that may have been going on around him that he's been hearing uh, could be pretty exciting. And he might have a lot of dirt on these guys by this point of time, which is pretty exciting. How do I know that they consider him as being deaf? Well, instead of looking at Zachariah and saying, well, what do you think, buddy? What, what, do, you, what do you want to call the child? I mean, we think he ought to be named after you, but your wife says he needs to be named John. You're the tiebreaker. Tell us what your child's name is, Zachariah. But they didn't ask him. They could have. He could hear just fine. But what did they do? In verse number 62, they made signs. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the amount of information that he's probably been listening to this whole time as they said, well, if he can't talk, then he must not be able to hear. So let's talk about him. You know, Let, let's talk about neighbors. Let's talk about all these other people. And here Zechariah is in this room. Now, he can't say anything at the moment, but he can hear everything. Well, they made signs to Zechariah and said, what are you going to call him? And, and of course, Zechariah is the one that needs the tablet. They don't need the tablets, but he does. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote. <clears throat> he said his name is John in writing. And they, I mean, of course, that's going to shock them all because everybody just assumed, right? But this is the reality of the way that we live out most of our Christian life is under assumptions that what we're doing is correct, under assumptions that what we're doing is pleasing to God, under assumptions that, that uh, fill in the blank, I suppose I would say, but there are tons of assumptions that we carry because we don't know the Word of God in its fullest sense. Having, even having studied the Word of God, you realize that, that when they asked John, they said, well, what are you going to call the child? He wrote down, or they asked Zechariah, I'm sorry, I got those guys mixed up. They asked Zechariah, what are you going to name the child? He wrote down John. They all freaked out. They were like, what in the world are you thinking? Don't you realize that this is going to uh, disannul all the previous generations of your family line for the possibility of Messiah to come into the world? You know what? It really doesn't matter at that point for Zechariah because he is the one that had that conversation with Gabriel. He's the one that knows that this is what God has chosen. So it doesn't matter what my lineage is, and it doesn't matter where I come from or what my line is. If God gave me instruction to do something, praise God, we better follow his instruction, not our own ideas about what we think his instruction is. So, John is his name. And at that very moment, you see that Zechariah's mouth was open, his tongue was loosed. He just started praising God. And of course, this is going to cause the people to freak out even more because up to this point, whether it be 10 months or whether it be 11 months, doesn't matter the amount of time that Zechariah was unable to speak. The reality is, is that everybody has, has already known that Zechariah has had this vision as he burst out of the temple and everybody at the, at the, the, the steps were praying and were looking at him and saying he must have seen a vision from God. 
So everybody knows that he's seen this thing. Everybody realizes that he's been impacted by this. He's been silent for these whole nine months for certain. Now he's he's praising God. He's shouting. He's he's rejoicing. He's done exactly what God has has tasked him to do. And, and he's paid the penance without question of, of his disbelief, of his doubt. But of course, there is no doubt now because John is born. Everything that the angel said has come to pass. And so Zechariah, he's just partying right now. He's partying before the Lord. And, and fear, this is the interesting thing that, that, that strikes me. Fear came on all that dwelt around about them. Fear. Like, you would see Zechariah and, and walk on the other side of the street. I mean, something freaky just happened with our neighbors, and we don't want to, to be involved with any of it. It's a lot like a gentleman that when I used to live in Minot, there used to be a, a, a restaurant that was pretty much right in our backyard. It's called Speedway Restaurants. not there anymore. It's now a gun range, which is absolutely fantastic as well. But we were coming home from, from Walmart that's further in town of Minot one day and, and driving by, we saw a whole crowd of people standing outside. And when we, when we came past, it's because this fella must have been drunk out of his mind and, and he tried to take off on a motorcycle and ended up wrecking this gorgeous Harley Davidson motorcycle and, and faced down on the, the pavement in the rocks and gravel and, and got blood coming from his head onto the pavement and of course there there's a whole ring of people standing there staring at this guy but there's nobody acting to try and care for him nobody nobody covering him with with a blanket or anything as being a fairly cold night and here this guy is with a whole crowd of people just standing there staring at him. And that's that same kind of fear that you'll find coming over the people that lived around Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John now that he's coming to the world is because they're, they're all spectators wondering at this great thing that's been done but scared to death to find out anything about it or to come anywhere near it. And they... All these sayings about his birth being noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea, no doubt to Jerusalem, no doubt that Herod has heard this, this amazing thing that has come to pass. And so really this has put Zechariah, this has put John and Elizabeth all at a position of danger of being, of being destroyed by Herod because of his, his acute fear of a Messiah or a king to be born that would take over his kingdom, and he's ready to kill anything. Of course, we know that from our omniscient view of the Advent story, because he literally, from the Gospel of Matthew last week, from the, the, the teaching of the wise men to Herod, killed every child from two years of age and under, from, from Bethlehem all the way down to the bordering lands with Egypt. So you realize how, how psychotic Herod was about the challenge to his kingdom. Uh, and, and here John is born and people are gossiping, people are rumoring, people are whispering. And Herod's going to pick it up, guys. And it come to verse number 66, And all they that heard them laid up in their hearts, laid it up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. 
what can you say? This is a scenario where you, you have the inner workings of a rumor mill that is going to build up to an assumption that is going to, to recognize John as ultimately being uh, the Messiah of the people. There's no question of the miraculous nature of his birth. There's no question of the strange occurrence of his father naming him a name that, that was given by God because it's not in the lineage of any of his family members. There, there are so many different ways in which you can understand the society around John believing him to be the Messiah. And yet, even though John, as we would see in as Jesus getting baptized in that particular scenario of, of Matthew, Luke, and even the Gospel of John, even though that we would see that John, this John, Zachariah's son, would testify that he's not the Messiah, even though he would testify that he his purpose in life was to reveal the Messiah to the people and that and that this same Jesus who has come over the hillside, who I proclaim is the Lamb of God, it, it, he is the Messiah, follow him. Even though John would, would evidently make this pro proclamation and that it would be very clear in, in the way in which he would proclaim the reality of Jesus being the Messiah, it wouldn't matter, people weren't listening. They had their mindset that John was the Messiah and they're going to follow John. And you even discover that from the position of, of Acts chapter number 19 when the Apostle Paul runs up upon these couple of believers and they say, well, well, under whose baptism have you been baptized with? And they said, under John's baptism. So you, you would still find these people who have gone into following the the message of John, following the person of John, that even when John would point them to Jesus and say, he's the Messiah, follow him, that, that they were just set in their heart. No, we're following you. You are our Messiah, and that's all there is to it. And so you can understand how that, that when John lessens himself as he said in in John the gospel of John chapter number 2 he says i must decrease he must increase well when john lessens himself to the ministry of jesus and ultimately ends up dying it it destroys a great many people's hearts it destroys a great many people's lives in thinking that they had finally got their messiah who was going to deliver them from the oppression of Rome because of John. They just believed he was Messiah. So when he was beheaded by John, by, or by Herod rather, that the people's hope was dashed. And so there was no way that they were going to allow for Jesus to be their Messiah. There's no way that they were going to accept that. Jesus, even though John had, had proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah, they weren't going to accept it. Well, we're a lot like them today in many ways about our faith too so something to have to consider today and we were not able to complete uh, the chapter so we will dive into Zechariah's prophecy tomorrow to finish off our week in Luke chapter number one so we'll be going from 67 down to, to verse number 80 
uh, tomorrow. But I hope that the birth of John was a thrill to you today, is a thrill to me, for he is the forerunner of our King. He is the proclaimer and revealer of Jesus, and he is exactly what we ought to be today, making known salvation through uh, the Lamb of God who has come into the world. This is the gospel. This is our message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so with that, let us thank the Lord for his blessing. Father, again, we thank you, praising you for this gift of this day and the gift of the gospel which you have given to us in the advent of, of Jesus. We thank you for his first coming as the Lamb of God that has made possible our hope of salvation and to, to be reunited with our Creator. But Father, we also look forward to the second advent of his coming again, the Lion of Judah and the authority of the King of Kings, that we may serve him well in this life and serve him well in the kingdom to come. As, as being your children, Lord, we pray that you'll give us this wisdom to know our Savior's entrance, to be able to share it with others. And bless us now as we rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Keep you guys and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall catch you tomorrow for the final conclusion to Luke chapter number one, the prophecies of Zechariah.